Hey Candy Fam, this is Nate from Talking Candy. We wanted to let you know that this audio podcast is a recording from a weekly YouTube series on the Talking Candy YouTube channel. We often reference charts and other visual aids throughout the show that in our opinion improve the overall experience. Thanks for listening and be sure to subscribe so that you can stay informed on everything in the world of candy each and every week. Taking a look at the Titans that we have going this week. Oh, that didn't work. Back to one. What's up, Candy Fam? My name is Nate, that's David, and this is the Talking Candy Weekly Update. Every week we take a dive into the world of candy and give you an idea of what you need to be paying attention to. And while David and I each have collections of our own, none of this is financial advice. We are just here to have a good time. David, it's Titan week number four. How you doing? I'm doing pretty good, Nate. Doing pretty good. I'm still watching from the sidelines. None of my giants have been called up to become Titans quite yet, but it's, uh, it's still a good spectator sport watching these Titans get burnt. For sure. We bumped from five to ten Titans today. And so we are, we're recording on Monday the 8th. Just for reference, this will still come out on Wednesday the 10th, but needed to, to shuffle some things around. But So we are just a few hours removed from the fourth week of Titan burning. And as I just stated, we, we're up to 10 now, 10 per week. So Candy seemingly has run through its process of, of doing some trial and error and gotten to a point where they feel comfortable with, with rolling out more each week, which is what we were expecting to see to move through it. So we're going to discuss that. We're also going to discuss the Hall of Fame drop. We're now a week into that. Take a look at those packs and those cards a little bit and have some discussion on that. So probably going to be a relatively brief episode compared to what we typically do, but definitely going to touch on on the main things that are going on right now. So with that, let's start by taking a look at Titans. So as has been the case for four weeks straight now on Mondays, it is Titan Day. For those of us who have been preparing and also for those that, that get excited about the, the given Titans on a given week, you can burn 51 points worth of that player and then 49 points of any other player. We've talked about this a lot in the last couple months, but as you can see, we've got 20 of these challenges that are in the books and of those 20, five of them were from today. Uh, so we've got today so far, Pete Alonzo, George Springer, Randy Rosarena. Justin Turner, Lopez, and Judge have, have all minted out, all five of those, Pablo Lopez and Aaron Judge. Uh, those are the five that have minted out so far, leaving us with Walker, Marquez, Santander, Judge, and Bohm as the remaining. And I think that Judge, Judge just minted Judge out, right? Out. Is this showing one still or it's, zero? It should show zero. Uh, it was actually probably about half an hour ago now that he finished. They just haven't taken him off that page yet. All right, let's click into it and see what it says. Let's yeah. hope that it says zero here. Wait and find no, that, out. That would be, that that would would be, be pretty unfair to anyone who was still hoping to pick one up. Yeah, it doesn't seem to be loading, so that's probably a good sign. Yeah, so like I said, first week that we had 10 of these. It's also the first week that we were kind of competing with... Well, no, I guess it's the second week we were competing with the Hall of Fame drop. So I have to remember that there's a limited amount of money to go around for... For different things so we saw a little bit of a different environment today with with card selling uh, in terms of the price movement but there was still a ton of liquidity a lot of interest in the 10 guys that that were being sold today and 
some very interesting ones to to watch. Aaron Judge is, uh, you know, arguably going to be the MVP this year. He was also in one of the non L1, L2 lineups. So he was in lineup three, which is 50% distributed. That means that there was a, you know, a little bit less supply there than than what we've seen with a lot of these, but also really high price points. So he took a little a little while to work through. Santander was the first person that we've seen beyond lineup three. So lineups one and two are 100% distributed. Lineup three is 50% distributed. And then four, five, and six are only 25% distributed. So Santander being 25% distributed was the first case study that we've been able to observe uh, in terms of having that much lower supply available. And as we can see, once I click into this, uh, there's still 41 left and it is 351 Eastern on Monday. So we're nearly three hours into the burn. We have not seen anybody last this long, I don't believe, let alone four of them. So it looks like the other ones will mint out. They're much, they're much closer, yes. By yeah. the time this episode come out, comes out, I'd be very surprised if there was anyone left possibly Taiwan Walker because he's from lineup three and he's not in as high a demand as Aaron Judge. But it's unlikely that Santander will see even 10 more mints in the next couple of days at the rate he's currently going. I think the last two mints he's seen have taken a couple hours. There's still some supply available, but it's reaching that equilibrium, that balance point where people, you know, they're kind of interested in having a Titan that's not going to hit 100 but it's not necessarily worth the point, the price point that is currently being asked on those, on those Santander listings. Yeah, we we talked about this with Bellinger last week. Uh, Bellinger was extremely expensive down the stretch. His peak epic sold for one hundred fifty dollars. It was only one transaction, but it just shows you what that that pinch on the supply did. But to your point, even though Bellinger isn't who he was a few years ago. He's still a Dodger. He was an all-star. He was that guy for a while. So a little bit of a different interest there, whereas a Taiwan Walker and Anthony Santander is just a little bit of a different narrative. And we know that. And all of these factors matter when it comes to collectibles. So I think that all of these are interesting to watch. I think that this week played out more like what we were expecting when we were hypothesizing about all of this a couple months ago. You know, I think that it's very possible that Santander does not mint out. Maybe we don't get there and we see what that looks like. And I don't think that there's any problem with that. I think it was cool to see the demand of everything minting out. And that was that was fun for a little bit. But I also think that it should be a hard decision. This is something that was talked about in Discord for a while with other members of the community, with members of Candy and it's not meant to be an easy decision. And I think that what we saw with lineups one and two is that there's so much supply and there's so much excitement that the decision was pretty easy. But now we're seeing with some of these other guys that the decision is not as simple when the supply is more in line with the demand. So all of these have a different narrative around them and it's understand it's it's important to understand which lineup they came from and you know what the popularity of that player and that team is in order to understand why they meant it out, how quickly they meant it out, and where things stand currently. So I don't know if you have anything else that, that you wanted to, to speak to on, on that train of thought. So I think that another contributing factor to all the previous weeks minting out as quickly is that difference between five Titans and 10. 
uh, having only five, it definitely helps narrow the focus. You know, and there is, there's a certain amount of liquidity that's just going to be available to people as money that they feel like they can afford to spend. And that's going to, that's going to spread more thinly across 10 players than it does across five. It might not have happened yet, but we're going to reach a point where people start to run out of other burn material. And so it isn't just a matter of picking up that week's player to, to burn. It's going to be a matter of picking up that week's player and also hunting for 49 other points. Because in, right now, most of us have points to spare for our burning. But that's not going to be the case. And we won't always be able to just hop down to the marketplace and pick up 50 cent cores eventually. And so the more Titans we mint, the closer we get to that point where not just the Titans, but this other burn material is going to start to feel pinched as well. Agreed. I uh, One of the things that I've noticed, I know that there's a lot of talk around you know the the titans the floors of the titans are for a lot of them are sitting similar to either what the epics are or what they were it's not they're not much higher than than where the epics were prior to the titan burn but it's based on a small number of listings compared to the whole and so i was clicking around some of the guys like bogarts and he's a he this is one that particularly makes my point, but I'll, I'll click around on some others to, to show the range. But as you can see, there's only nine of these listed. So yes, the floor is listed at $57, and maybe that's in the ballpark of what his epics were selling for on Titan Day. So it feels like, what's the point to somebody with a short-term mindset? But when you look at this, that's a very low availability. And so these things take time you I, I read you say something in discord about how many collectibles you know physical collectibles appreciate in 48 hours it just it doesn't happen that way and i think that it's important to understand that that is what these are these are collectibles and they are meant to be collectibles candy has made it very clear that 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 is what they are producing they are producing baseball cards for people to collect and so that's that's apparent here. There are 91 people, myself included, with an unlisted Bogarts. So there are only nine sitting here. So yes, they're sitting here at a relatively low price. But as you can see, after these first two listings, we jump up to 90. And then after three more listings, we jump up to 250. So in the short term, this feels available, readily available. And we've seen these selling in the 50 to $60 price point for now. But those opportunities are gonna fall by the wayside because we've seen 13 sold, there's nine active, and now we're at a point where 91% unlisted means that if a few people decide to go in and buy a Bogarts, then that relatively affordable price point compared to the Epic, that, that changes quickly. So let me click into my Buxton and see what the story is here. I think he's got some more listed. So yeah, this he's got 16 listed. And his Titan is actually less than his Epic right now, which is an interesting mm -hmm. thing to look at. Um, but again, I just don't think that we've had enough time play out for for these things to recalibrate in terms of players and uh, this, this the different supply and demand. There's a lot going on right now. But again, only 16 out of 100 listed is a very small percentage. And unlike some of the things that we have to navigate with the, the leadoff series packs, this is 100% distributed. We know exactly what's out there. We know what's going to be. And if people choose not to list it, that's just how it's going to, 
to continue to be. Mm-hmm. So I don't know if you've had any observations on the these early days of of just tighten pricing and sales in general. Well, one thing, and we've mentioned it most with Bellinger because that was the most notable that jumped to a hundred and fifty dollar sale. It's just even when they don't jump that much, we see epic prices climb on Titan Day. And so part of the reason why those epic prices might be more expensive, at least temporarily, than the Titan prices is they just haven't come back down to earth yet. In some cases, there are temporarily going to be less epics in circulation than Titans. If we want to look at those lineup three players, uh, we have Cody Bellinger. He currently has seven listed epics and 47 unlisted. 54 epics total that aren't still trapped in packs. There are 153 still trapped in packs, and they will eventually see the light of day. But for right now, there's 54 epics floating around and 100 titans, almost twice as many. And so from that perspective, you know, you can see with 100 people recently getting airdropped something, if enough of them are committed to selling it, they're going to have to compete with each other within that Titan range, and there's less people with epics to potentially see that same competition. So it's a combination of epic prices taking a while to fall back down to Earth, and it's a combination of just less epics left overall, particularly from these line, these lineup three players. Yeah, that's a that's a good note. The just clicking over here, I've, you know, I've got the side by side. This is the the Titan Cody Ballingers sitting at a floor of fifty five with eighteen listed, eighty two unlisted, and then to your point, there are literally less epics now just because of the distribution. So forty seven unlisted and seven listed, and so that that's going to explain the difference between a guy like Ballinger and a guy like. Bogarts, who who came out in in one of those early lineups, so mm-hmm. continues to be really important numbers to understand. It it doesn't it's not one size fits all because it ultimately matters who the player is and the demand for that player. You know we we're watching the difference between a guy like Bellinger in L three versus a guy like Taiwan Walker in L three, right? It's two very different scenarios in terms of demand, but it's the same volume of available burn pile and so it's nice to be able to compare things like that and understand that not all 25 players that we've seen so far are created equal so we're we continue to beat a dead horse but i know that we've got different listeners every single week and i just think that this is continuing to be the most important thread to understand and that's why it finds its way into every one of our conversations in one way or the other so Trying to think if there's anything else uh, related to Titans that that I noticed. I mean, in general, the the process continues to get smoother and smoother. I think they upped, they doubled the number of Titans today. And while the website felt a little bit slow at times, it never crashed. Everything seemed to flow through smoothly. And I even noticed, and you know, this is not to say that this is how it is, but. I noticed for myself personally, I wasn't minting early on. I did ultimately uh, do a Pablo Lopez, but I was in there and I could see all the the thumbnails of the available Titans and it never kicked me out into the queue. And I don't know if that was that it's just been, it was distributed properly or if there was just slightly less traffic or what, but it didn't kick me back out. I was able to go click in and out of the different thumbnails to see how many were still available along the way. So 
I don't know how to explain it. Not exactly sure what happened there, but it all seems to to be that each week they're they're flushing out a different part of the process and and getting it to run a little bit more smoothly. So continuing to see people with the ability to to get multiple titans if they want them, and yeah, it'll be it'll be cool to see how how this particular subset of 200 cards continues to. Uh, establish itself within the marketplace as we get more and more of them. So we're about uh, 12 and a half percent done yeah. uh, at this point. So, yeah, mm -hmm. it, there's there, yeah, still a long way to go on Titans, but hopefully if they keep it up at 10 a week or maybe even increasing it further after a few more weeks, we can start to make some, some more significant progress there. Definitely. And this, uh, the collection stats, the data visualization is worth noting that this is all available through the marketplace now. So it doesn't need to be in your collection. So active listing gets posted, you click on this Kyle Schwarber Uncommon, and now you can just scroll down and not only get the, the collection data, but also scroll down to what we've all been asking for for a long time. And that is a list of active listings and a list of sold all in order. So the sold is in order of sale date, then the active listings are automatically sorted price low to high. This is the exact format that we've been asking for for months mm -hmm. and it it has significantly improved my experience over the last week or so. Just I've you know, I have to break out of my old habits, my old ways of navigating <laughs> and remind myself that there's a better way to do it now. Mm -hmm. And once I've done that, man, I'm I'm really enjoying navigating the site now. So it's it's a huge improvement in my ability to go get the information that I want without having to find a, a circuitous route to get there. So I don't know if you felt the, the same, but I've very much been enjoying the marketplace because of these upgrades. I, I still catch myself sometimes doing a search the old way definitely, and, and having to, to apply those filters. Like I have to type in the name, I have to check the box to, to filter it by the set I care about and the rarity I care about, when instead I could just find the one listing go to their page and, and have it all right there in front of me. Mm -hmm. And so it's definitely, uh, yeah, just another one of those incremental changes as they keep moving in the right direction. For sure. Yeah. And to your point, once you, like I clicked into this uncommon, but if I wanted to see the rares, I can just click that rare. It's going to bring me here. And then I just click the view details on that particular card. And now we've got the rare data instead. So you could probably remove one step there to just bring me into this page, but Maybe not. Some people would want to click that to go get the listing. So it's just going to be preference and it's mm -hmm. it's really just splitting hairs at that point. So love love that we have this at our disposal. Love that it's in my collection as well as Marketplace. So huge improvement there. If we're good with Titans, let's, uh, mm -hmm. let's discuss. You know what? Real quick, because I forgot to do it at the top. So I'm just going to sneak it in right here. Pack giveaway. Second pack giveaway. So just a, a like and a retweet. Nothing crazy here. Just another appreciation giving away an L2 pack. So check that out on Twitter. And and then we did have, you know, I guess this will be a good transition into Hall of Fame discussion. We've had two of the one of one Hall of Fame cards get sold so far. So Al Kaline was sold for 1800 and Lou Brock, I believe, sold for 1650. So those are our first two one of ones off the board. We have seen about 15 of these pulled, give or take. You might have the, the exact number. 17 at this point. 17, okay. So 17 one of ones out of the 27 total. And do you know off the top of your head where we are with the Griffey inserts? 14 still, and, and one has sold at $2,100. Okay. So 
14 of 24 Griffies have been pulled and 17 of 27 uh, of the one of ones have been pulled. So just good numbers to keep track of. Those numbers seem to be in line with the amount of packs that have been ripped. So they're not, uh, they're not alarming, nor are they, you know, particularly out of whack with going the other direction either. So they're getting pulled at the right rate. Uh, we have not seen the Griffey one of one pulled yet. I don't believe still waiting to mm-hmm. see that, but yeah, so let's, let's tie the loop together here from the discussion last week. So what we've seen on the, the packs themselves is a decline in floor price. And, you know, I'm not exactly sure why. I know that there's there's some negativity around it. I know that a small amount of people can can move things in a certain direction. And maybe you're a better one to, to comment on this. But the the overall sentiment that you and I still feel is that there are just not that many of these packs. And in addition to that, this was still rolled out as a really cool drop that I feel was done with a variety of concepts that were finally truly in alignment with what the demand was for a new product, for a new set of packs, and with a new a new design in the pack odds that we've seen play out as being a, a more enjoyable experience with these 10 icon packs. So I don't know if you want to jump in and and say, you know, we're not going to dive too deep into this because, you know, it is what it is. But I know that you and I are still happily holding these packs because I'm still just continuing to watch. And while the floor might be where it is right this second, it's still a relatively insignificant number of listings overall. Right. Not only is the number of listings not that great, it's just when we're looking at this on a scale of time, we're still at the beginning of this drop. We're still less than a week removed at this point from these products being released. And while we we were definitely expecting the price of singles to take a dip, because that's something we've seen play out time and again, you know, just the cost of the cores and the uncommons, they they tend to slide for a while before stabilizing and bouncing back. And and I wasn't expecting to see the packs follow that same pattern quite, quite as much as they have this past week. But at the core of it, I, I don't see any reason to be concerned with the fact that it has. Uh, because we can look at recent examples of the, the leadoff lineup packs from lineups 4, 5, and 6. You know, they retailed at $30, and they're currently holding floors at $50 and $70, you know, depending on the lineup. And it's just to be true that the packs themselves will stabilize and hold value better than the contents of the packs that that's inside of them that's that just always seems to be the case and if it's a matter of just being patient then i can be patient i I can i can wait until they hold the value that i believe that they should Um, but as as to your point candy did a lot of stuff that we suggested that they should do that that would seem to make for a better product drop experience uh, there were a lot of concerns with the leadoff pack that there were too many players, that it should have been more focused, and we have a very focused 30 players in this Hall of Fame drop. You know, they really narrowed it down and gave us just a core group of, of these Hall of Famers. You know, we said that there were too many packs before, that there was too much supply per person, and that supply per person is 
you know, dramatically lessened on this drop compared to the lead-up drop. You know, pretty much across the board, they ticked a lot of these boxes that we said needed to be ticked. And it seemed, at least in the, the weeks leading into this Hall of Fame drop, it seemed that there was going to be more than enough demand, more than enough people excited about the drops that, you know, they would not only sell out, but that people would be keeping the stuff that they purchased. And with every project, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be a division between the amount of people opening the product and holding the product versus the amount of people who are going to be reselling it. That's that's fine. No, no one is saying that you can't try and resell a product. I, I know that I've resold many of mine and I try to do it strategically. You know, just today, I, I sold my Aaron Judge Uncommon. You know, I paid $10 five months ago. I sold it for 35 because to me, that's, you know, taking the timing into consideration, a good move to capitalize on his Titan day. And I still want a Aaron Judge Uncommon. So in a week or two, I'll buy another one. And I expect to pay less than I got today. So there's definitely something to be said about utilizing knowledge and utilizing timing to turn a profit, to defray your costs by profiting on some products and spending heavily on others. So I definitely can't hold anyone at fault for wanting to make a profit. But you should also understand that the more people who take that approach, the more competition there's going to be to see those profits. And so you assume a risk when you take that stance. You assume the risk of holding for longer than you necessarily wanted to. And that's something that you have to be okay with. I'm okay with the packs that I have. I haven't opened any, and I don't know if or when I will. But I'm okay with them being in my collection until that day comes. And I think that, to me, is a big part of why things have you know, not taken off the way we were expecting. But the underlying information, the underlying supply, and what I perceive to be the eventual demand for a product as good as this, that's all the same. So my confidence in that hasn't really changed. It's just off to a slow start. Yeah, I think that, I mean, you outlined a lot of good, a lot of good points there that all need to be pieced together. But, you know, to your point, there's nothing wrong with flipping a product. That's, that's part of trading card culture. That's part of collectible culture. I think that the problem is if you make an assumption that something's going to be a certain way and it's going to be that way in a very short amount of time. So to your point, you and I have both certainly taken profit on things that we've purchased. And some of them are in the short term, some of them are in the long term. But the key there is that neither one of us buys anything that we wouldn't be happy to hold if it didn't turn out that way. I have a bunch of 2021 play of the days that are worth a fraction of what I paid for them a few months ago. And I'm okay with that because they're plays that I care about from my Red Sox, games that I was at, things that mattered to me. And so if I bought it for 80 bucks and today it was worth 300, then maybe I'd be thinking about selling it because sometimes when an opportunity presents itself, it gives you the option to go expand your collection in another way. But it didn't go that route and they're not worth that. And so I'm just enjoying them for what they are in my collection because some things are gonna go up and some things are gonna go down and it's impossible to predict. So you and I are both of the mindset that you should buy things that bring you joy. And if you get 
an unassumed opportunity to to sell those collectibles for more than what you paid for them, great. That's a that's a good problem to have. Now you can decide if you got a collectible cheaper than than others can get it in today's market, or you can decide to to flip that collectible and turn it into more candy, which is at at its core, that's why you and I sell anything anyway, because we're just using it to funnel it back into something else that we're excited about. So there is no right or wrong way to do this, but if you if you go into it with this set expectation that what you buy is going to be worth double two minutes after you buy it, it's just not, you know, d does that play out sometimes? Absolutely, it does. But can you bank on that? Definitely not. So a couple weeks ago with Titans, the price movement was a lot different than what it was today. And so if somebody that made an assumption today and did something with their cards that worked three weeks ago, it didn't necessarily play out that way today. So you can never go into these things with the assumption that there's going to be a quick flip. It's just, it's a recipe for disappointment. That being said, I understand the desire to to roll profits forward and, and be able to, at least in my case, turn that into more collectibles. It's part of the game for me. So not judging that mindset, it's just the framework in which we view it from and and how we go about it. So. Neither one of us are interested in selling our $100 packs for $70 right now. So they will remain in our collection. And where they are a week from now, a month from now, six months from now, that will dictate what we choose to do with them. For now, we're continuing to observe the fact that it is a small sample size or a, a small mint count, whatever you want to call it. There's not a whole lot of these available. And we've seen the pack values go up on the leadoff series with the the rip percentage increasing you know we've got a high percentage of of packs unwrapped at this point especially with some of the 25 percent distributed lineups so it's part of the enjoyment for both of us we are observing what the price movement is we didn't buy it expecting one thing or another but it's a really intriguing product it continues to be a really intriguing product it's different than anything that we've seen and we're going to keep watching it as such. So that's all I got on on the the serious talk. So I think that what we should do to uh, to cap this off here is show just how cool these these actual uh, collectibles are. Because unlike the leadoff series, let's see, let me pull this up here. You got your screen. So unlike the leadoff series, these are actually interactive in a way. Mm -hmm. So there's a narration and there's also uh, an interaction piece. So I'll let you walk through how these how these work and what they look like because they're very cool. All right. So uh, when you pull it up in your collection, it starts with the normal uh, we just call it the, the shimmy, the, you know, just the the side to side baseball card in motion. But when you go to the the bonus asset here, it, it'll take a few seconds to load, uh, but then it'll load that that same card, and, and the stuff you can do with it is. It's unique. It's you know, it's unlike anything Candy's done to this point so far, and so it starts as just the same, the same image going back and forth. Uh, you might hear there's some some music starting in the background. The first thing you can do is just clicking off to the side. You can flip it around to see to see his career stats. Uh, you can see the teams he played for. See he spent a majority of his year with Atlanta, which is why he's rocking the the Braves here. But then when you click on the icon itself, uh, just click it in the middle, 
that's when that's when the fun begins. Famous for relying on a fluttering and frustrating knuckleball, Phil Necro twice led the National League in wins. And so it's the rare uh, rarity that you first get narration. And so for the uncommons, for the cores, you don't get that narrator in the background. But for the rare, you get narration, uh, you get one video and two still images. And so when you click again, you can just let this clip play as long as you want if you want to just see that first clip. But by clicking again, it'll take you deeper into the NFT and it'll showcase one of the images with some additional narration. Nuxie propelled Atlanta to the NL West division title in 1969 when he recorded 23 victories, 21 complete games, and a 2.56 ERA. And then clicking one more time to get to the second still image. A five-time MLB All-Star, Necro no-hit the Padres on August 5th, 1973. And then for the rare, that's more or less the end of the road. You click again, and it'll take you back to the back to the stats, uh, and then you're right back where you started. You know, swiveling between the stats page and the uh, the character card. It's very very cool. It's again just continuing to see candy innovate what the interaction with the nft can be like we started off with something that felt like a baseball card looked like a baseball card you know had the bonus video with it but this is definitely taking that to the next level which is really really cool to see right and uh it it gives you a, a more substantial kind of utility or reward for getting those higher tier collectibles you know before you know, there wasn't a whole lot of difference between an uncommon and an epic other than the color of the video, the tint on the card. Uh, but now, you know, when you jump up to the rare, you start getting that narration. And when you make that second jump to an epic, you're going to get a second video clip along with it. And so those are those are exciting things. And for a, for a collector who, who, you know, either remembers these players or, or cares about that team in a you know, in a more emotional way, you know, I get goosebumps watching get these clips for the players I'm not attached to. I can't even imagine how much cooler it's going to be when I finally pick up my McCovey Epic and, and I go through that. You know, I picked up the Phil Negro because it felt like a good value at the time. You know, the pricing on it just seemed like a good value, but I, I'm not a huge Braves fan, but for someone who is, you know, that's amazing. And, and that's, you know, candy pushing the boundaries in what these digital collectibles can look like and can feel like and how they can make you feel looking at them. Yeah. And I don't know. That's even if I never sell it, even if it just sits in my collection forever, I'm I'm happy to have that. Yeah. Nostalgia is such a huge part of baseball for so many different reasons, whether it's remembering the players that you grew up watching or going to the ballpark with somebody that that you share baseball with or just the smells and the and the sounds of the park there's just so much nostalgia as part of it and so we're getting to tap into that and i think that it's cool to see that we could continue to see these small subsets of cards that hammer on different things of that nature and so it doesn't always have to be hall of fame it could just be an era right it could we could see 
you know, the the 90s, 2000s era of, you know, Barry Bonds, Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, A-Rod, Nomar, Jeter. Like, now that means something in particular to me because I grew up on that. And, but I, I can't possibly be alone. So there is this opportunity to add that narration and the review of that player's career and what they meant to their team and what they meant to their city. And so even if they're not, a true Hall of Famer, it could be the Red Sox Hall of Fame or the Braves Hall of Fame or the Giants Hall of Fame. So as a collectible company, there's so much opportunity to continue making these small subsets that that do something in particular for a fan base that is more niche than, than just the broad live series players. So it's really exciting. The, you know, we just walk through that NFT for a reason because it's it's cool. It's cool to see Candy continuing to add new elements to what they're doing. It's not just repackaging the same NFT over and over again. They keep innovating. And whether that be in the NFT itself, in the early access to gain access to it, the way that they roll out the launch in and of itself, or the way that these things are minted, different first some is first come, first serve, some is queue. You know, all all different things. They're trying all different stuff. And, you know, it's it is just so clear to me over these last couple months that the things that the community talk about get brought up by the community managers and then Candy does something with it. Not everything, not all at once, but it's clear that they're paying attention. And so mm -hmm. to see the continued innovation, continued innovation, you and I are continuing to enjoy watching what Candy is doing, what's coming next, and uh, looking forward to continuing to be a part of it. So with that, my name is Nate. That's David. This is the Talking Candy Weekly Update, and we will see you in the next one.